Oh, 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 oh. <laughs> you sound like some kind of thing that's like in need of being rescued. <laughs> like, like some kind of really like small insect that's drowning in a puddle. It's like it's just raining, but you're like, oh, oh, oh. <laughs> Or like a very polite person drowning in a puddle. Like a very polite insect <laughs> drowning in it's a like, puddle. I don't want to, I don't want to cause any trouble. Oh. Like no one actually saved me, but I'm just drawing attention to the fact that I'm dying here. <laughs> you know, I think we've um, invented a new type of therapy called noise therapy, where people just like release stream of consciousness noises. Because I think that the noises mm. that we say express things that we don't have the words for so i think this could actually be a very viable um solution for some things <laughs> yeah and there's an infinite number of noises you can make and they're all so complex yeah. and varied yeah. so that might actually be yeah like better than language in some ways because it's infinite not that language is not infinite, but yeah. yeah, like directly infinite. We can access all of the potential right now, and we can probably understand each other quite well. Yeah, I bet we could understand each other through noises, because <laughs> language is almost useless, and just, like, these words are just sort of, just the... The, the, the covering or the shape we put to the noises behind them. Like, if I start talking a bit faster and more excited, you can tell that straight away, right? Like, the way I'm talking now, it doesn't matter what I'm saying. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's why it's fun to listen to other languages on radio stations and just, like, you can sort of pick up pretty much their banter and what they're saying. Well, not what they're saying, but, you know, mm, the feelings. Mm, yeah, yeah. And, I mean, that's what we normally want to communicate anyway. It's kind of like, I'm feeling this way, and I want yeah. you to understand that. Yeah. Oh, that was so beautiful what you just um, said. I'm glad that we recorded it, because I can't remember it right now. But, like, words are the cover of, like, what's underneath. Oh, oh. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, maybe. Um, yeah, well... Yeah. That somewhat relates to the start of my weekend that I'm going to tell you about. Um, I I went to okay. the coolest play ever. And I, like, the whole time I was like, why isn't Tim here and watching this with me? Because it was, like, totally your thing. It was this guy who did a BA in Wellington. And while he was there, he had this manic episode. And then he wrote this play and was the sole actor in it where he was just showing this manic episode in a really, like, funny and touching and, like, understandable light. And, yeah, yeah, and it, um, it was based on this absurd theory on language, which is what we, we were just talking about, and it had, like, elements of Norse mythology and the audience got to participate and do stupid stuff and discuss things, and it was, you know, showing... Um, uh, I really am looking for a different way to say a mental problem, like a, um, a kind of alternative state of mind, <laughs> but making it seem totally understandable, which I love. I love it when artists try and express that. So that was great. And so people in the audience may have not experienced a manic episode themselves, but he did a pretty good job of conveying what yes, that was like. Yeah, that's the idea. And that was like totally what he was going for with the whole play. I think it was to express that and yeah, yeah, which is lovely. I think that he yeah, really succeeded. 
Yeah. And it was fun. I don't fun. even know where to start. So like, it was basically like all of the things that you talk about when you're doing a BA and all of the weird conversations that you end up having. But like, if you also on the side did some drugs and were quite a, an excitable person, like this is kind of like the extreme form of where you'd end up. So he had this like mm. idea of redoing the student magazine in Wellington, which you probably know a lot more about than I do, but apparently it's called Salient. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So he was going to redo that to be called Salience. But the, the main feature was that um, his idea was that language, we get desensitized to language and, you know, words start to disintegrate over time and lose their meaning because we hear them so often that you know 50 years down the track or like hundreds of years they don't mean the same thing so his thing was that we could replace language with potato stamp communication and so the play was called potato stamp megalomaniac and this it was actually like a fully developed theory and he you know had like there, there were various intellectual elements to the play but like the deal was that um potato stamps start to disintegrate the moment you cut them because they're like a natural thing so it's impossible to make the same potato stamp twice and so his thing was like if we replace our language with potato stamps we will need to treasure every word that everyone says because it's gonna you know this is the only time that we're gonna get this particular signal you know what is a potato stamp Ah, you know when you're a kid and you um like out of half of a potato you carve a thing so that when you put it in ink you can use it as a stamp oh yes 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 yeah, yes, yes. yeah. so this, this play was like totally uh, it was so inventive like he'd built this potato synthesizer which was made out of like all of these slices of potato and you could play it by like pushing electrodes into them it looked like and um there was also an overhead projector, which he, like, projected in various... That was maybe the main lighting for the play, was, like, him shining the light of the projector in these different ways. And um, at one point he, like, yeah, put stamps onto it, and, like, he used it to show his um, letter that he got from a psychiatrist as well. It was, like, a cool way of getting the audience to read what he was reading. And then he would also play with the focus on the projector to show that, like, how he was having trouble reading it and, like, the audience could experience that the way that he did. And then, yeah, the play was kind of made up of just his conversations with friends and flatmates and he was going a bit insane and, of course, his flatmates had issue with some of the things that he was doing in the flat, which he thought was totally rational and like yeah he would play all of the characters and just have these wild conversations and then the thing that i was thinking about while i was watching it was how he would involve the audience and like there was a point where we all like he involved the audience in a discussion on whether or not punctuation is oppressive and like for example we have kind of unbounded enthusiasm, but if you put like three exclamation marks, you're going to be judged for it as too enthusiastic. And like he kind of got like asked members of the audience how many exclamation marks we feel comfortable using and like <laughs> if that's really what we want mm. or if these rules are thrust upon us. And um, mm. the, the beautiful thing was that at the end, like throughout the play, there'd been this plot of like earth like a little mini garden in the middle of the stage 
and he'd sort of dig around in it. I guess the way that you dig around in your mind when you're searching for ideas or something, maybe it was symbolic of that, but like inside there were all these potatoes. And at the end, three people in the audience, he gave them gloves and then got them to like dig up all of these potatoes out of this earth and like give one to everyone in the audience. And then he was like, oh, potatoes are lovely to hold. And it's true, they are actually really nice to hold. They're like perfectly hand-shaped. And then like we all went outside with our potatoes and looked up at the stars for a little bit in silence. And then we went over to Myers Park and looked up at the stars again and then buried our potatoes under a tree and then we all sat under the tree for like five minutes in silence and just like meditated at night and it was it was so beautiful like it was amazing wow and that was part yes. of the play oh sorry part of the part of the production part of the yeah. Uh, performance yeah yeah, oh, yeah. Wow. and there was this beautiful line where like at the end he was just like come on guys this is not a play anymore let's not be self-conscious we're just gonna go and do this and they're like we didn't know what was happening he was just like he wasn't speaking he was just like leading us to Myers Park and ah oh, it was just it got me thinking about audience participation and like the way that if you go to a live performance how that can be different to a movie and how if if a person like involves the audience like, you know, you always get this feeling of like, oh my God, I'm going to be asked to go on stage and I'm going to like make a fool of myself. And I hate this. Like I, I paid as a member of the audience. I just want to sit here and watch the show. But that like, it is kind of true that we can do that in a movie. You know, like if you go to a live play, it's because you want real people. And in some ways that mm. does, maybe, maybe that should open you up to participating just a teeny bit. And that like maybe that's what we want or like maybe that would be an interesting addition to the things that we do on the weekend to like go somewhere and just like you were saying in that comedy gig that you went to that like she got everyone to like dance crazily and things and like the mm. idea that that can be something that we do instead of just sitting there and watching something just like be asked to do something that we I wouldn't think... normally do and see each other in a new light and things yeah and so uh how long was the play? Or how long... So I keep saying play. How long was the performance? Yeah, like um, one and a half hours, I guess. And it was a one-man yeah. play. So it was yeah, just Yeah, oh, there was the other guy who okay. was playing the potato synthesizer, but he didn't really do much. Yeah. Okay. Um, I think one-man plays are pretty genius, by and large. Mm. Um, uh, I really enjoy them. But it's always... You have to go to them with a sense of without any preconceptions or or any expectations of what you want because it'll always be so personalized and and take you in like a certain direction that uh you you're not in control of the journey anymore it seems like you have to let go more than any other let's sit down and watch this thing hmm. that i know of. okay um even just plays you you just you know standard theatre plays you have to uh, let go a little but it just there's something about one man plays maybe they're I mean I guess they're as a genre they're sort of vehicles for people who have more outside yeah. ideas outsider ideas yeah or just sort of like a like a strange bend to them or their own little 
way about going things. Uh, way about going yeah, through yeah, things. Yeah, I've never really been to that. Yeah, that's cool. Man place, actually. Yeah, neither, I haven't been to many either. Um, I want to do more, especially down in Wellington. I there's heaps. Of, there's a lot of people here who are trying to make it in the comedy scene or the theatre scene or make a name for themselves. And a one-man play is seems to be a way about going about proving that you can entertain mm. and you know and and and, and 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 provide like a really cool evening out just by yourself mm. um and it sounds like that guy did it and it sounds also um what's his name or what was the name of the yeah performance? yeah Do you remember? so the play was potato stamp megalomaniac it was on at the basement potato Potato Stamp Megalomaniac. Yeah. yeah, and it was on at the basement, ah, okay. which is amazing. Everyone should check out the basement. I think the play finished yes. last night or something, so it's too late for that. But the guy's name was Andrew Gunn. And yeah, he was super mm. talented. He wrote it and acted all of these different characters and sang in some parts of it as well. This like beautiful as um, Norse poem from like ages ago. And yeah, that, that he felt mm. kind of represented his feelings while he was in the space and yeah yeah there's a space before but after the second exclamation mark where it becomes in my mind unmockable and sort of very authentic and sincere and so when someone's writing a message to me on facebook and it ends with three or more exclamation marks they are being, like, unabashedly... Oh, that's a terrible pronunciation of the word. I don't even know how to pronounce that word. Right. Unabashed. Yeah. Unabashedly. Mm. Um, it's just a word I've never said out loud before. <laughs> yeah. uh, uh, you know, like, they're being very, like, like, very sincere and very, like, sort of a bit vulnerable with their enthusiasm. I'm sure this guy on stage said this way better. But I feel like the whole one-man play is that equivalent of more than two exclamation marks, you know? Oh. Like, he is putting himself out there in the most sincere, mm. um, like, vulnerable way, uh, with the, with the, expect, like, so the expectation that no one is necessarily going to be offended by that. And if you're going to see this play, you're, you're going to be someone who's into that. Mm. Um, there's a certain cynicism to not being okay with more than two exclamation marks, I think. Uh, I think that's a really interesting topic you brought up, though. Um... Yeah, because I think there's a way, there's definitely a way on Facebook or on Facebook chat or online chat or whatever to talk. Like, there's a certain language people use that you wouldn't necessarily say things that way in person. Mm. It's almost like language has been adapted and there's certain signals that mean certain things. Like, for example, a lot of pe uh, my relatives who are of the older generation will often end their sentences on Facebook messages to me with three uh, full stops. Mm -hmm. Like, what do you call that when it's three full stops an in a row? Ellipsis. And it means an, an ellipsis. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so they'll end it with that. And it, for me, my social signal I get from that is it's almost like they're rolling their eyes at me or they're like looking at me after they said it a bit too long as if to be yeah. like, come on, man. Yeah. Um, and I've talked to some of my friends and they feel this too. When you end it with three dots, it's like, it's sending a certain signal. But I know for them, it, that isn't the signal they're meaning mm. to send. They just are, they just are saying it. The, the three dots, I think, for them must like, connotate, I haven't 
fully thought this thought through mm. or I might have more to say or this is just a casual passing remark in a sentence. Um, yeah. But I think it's interesting how there's their way of doing it and then the way I and others kind of take it and mm. it's like a slight miscommunication. And all it does is just it makes it sound like they're just like... Uh, like kind of just being like weird <laughs> it's just it's like a weird it's just like weird <laughs> yeah like you feel like but it's true being weird? I yeah i'm just like what are you like why why are you why are you saying like <laughs> like good morning tim dot 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 <laughs> like what are you insinuating over the internet <laughs> yeah exactly it's like saying someone says like a coworker is like good morning tim and then they just keep staring at you <laughs> like what do you want like what a what is this implying? Uh, you know, I would never dreamt of thinking that about an ellipsis. Like, oh, okay. I, I don't, I don't, I, I use them sometimes and I don't intend to send that message and I don't, like, understand it when someone else sends it to me either. For me, it kind of reminds me of, you know, when you realize that you've been talking way too long and you kind of trail off at the end. Like, that's, I think, mm. what it means to me, which is similar to what you just said about, like, I haven't fully thought this through. It's kind of like the person mm, realized that mm. halfway through their utterance and they're kind of finishing the sentence because they think that'll make them look less weird, but actually it's already weird and they mm. know it. <laughs> like, mm. yeah. That's so cool. You went to that one man play at the basement. Mm. Uh, I uh, like that they are, is that, it's not part of a, uh, a comedy festival or anything, is no, it? It's no, just, the basement just has it's just tons ongoing. of plays all the time. Like, I've been yeah. to so many, I've been to like five this year, I think. Wow. Yeah. I mean, a lot of, to oh. be sure, a lot of them were like the Shakespeare plays, but if I hadn't gone to them, I would have gone to like other things at the basement. There's different things on every week. Because we went to see, uh, what Shakespeare's plays did you go to see in yeah. total? So like, we what, went to the I can't Tempest. Remember. Which was great. Yeah, that's right. Then while I was at the Tempest, your friends were telling me about um, the other one, the other one, the other one, the funny one. Romeo and Juliet. No, no, oh my god, which one? Midsummer's. The one where all of the oh, actors oh, 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 oh. I want to say much ado about yeah, nothing, yeah, yeah, but it yeah. wasn't. Twelfth night. Twelfth night. No, 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 no. Oh, is it the? I said it. Not, I said it. It's some okay. reason. Twelfth night. I got it. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I was getting really riled up there for a second. <laughs> um, Twelfth night, yeah, and that was great too. Apparently, that was better than the Tempest. Ah, I think it's one of those things where you kind of like whichever you saw mm. first, and that kind of sets mm. the tone for what Pop Up Globe was about. Mm. And yeah, so for me, it kind of was the Tempest that I really liked, but I can totally see how you could like both. Yeah. See, I saw the Tempest in an interesting way because one of my friends arrived without a ticket, so we had to. Mm, so yeah. they had driven all that way. So I went to have a coffee with them for the first part, as not to waste their trip, in a way, yeah. and just to catch up with them. And then I joined everyone for the second half, or at least the second two thirds. And I really enjoyed doing that because I kind of felt like I got away with not having to sit through the first part. Mm, yeah, yeah, in some ways that... <laughs> and I still got to see a lot of... Yeah. Because that, like, gives you an opportunity to be like, ah, oh, I don't understand this because I missed the first half. As opposed to, like, the rest of us who were like, I don't understand this because it's, like, I'm stupid and it's Shakespeare and, like, he's using these long dumb. words. Yeah. <laughs> 
Um, yeah, I read the plot summary though. So. Okay, that's, that's a lot more than I did. And you also, like, you also got to arrive at halftime and listen to us trying to make sense of what we'd just yeah. seen and, like, all of our diverse, different, like, understandings of that's what That's right, these fairies of what's going on. <laughs> and then you had, like, three Maybe that's why Shakespeare was so popular, because he just, everyone was just taking what they thought that it was about back home with yeah, them, you know. Which is beautiful, it's like poetry. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, when I used to do these German plays, I'd get like everyone I knew to try and I'd try and get everyone I knew to come along, and like they wouldn't understand it. <laughs> and then you'd mm. ask them after, like, what What do you think it was about? What was happening? And then like my friends would try and outdo each other in like these wild explanations for what they'd seen. Like, oh yeah, that person was definitely a zombie, and like these two other people, they were secretly <laughs> having an affair the whole time, even though you couldn't really see it. <laughs> It was great. It's like an exercise in imagination. <laughs> yeah, I wonder if you could pull off a small one-man play or just a small play that's completely babble and and it's everyone's just can take their own interpretation of it and there's no like set meaning to it. It's just a bunch of random things happen on stage. Hmm. Well, we have that in the form of modern art a lot of the time. Oh yeah. snap! Yeah. I suppose you're right in a way. Yeah, yeah it probably it would probably actually be awful. I yeah, there's something really special about the the indication that there might be meaning in something, as opposed to there mm. being absolutely no meaning. Mm. And yes, yeah. like the TV show Lost. Okay, I I never really watched that, but I I've heard multiple conversations about it. So yeah, everybody loved the first half because it was all. It was positing all these mysteries mm. and ideas and and unknowables, mm. but th- with the with the very firm understanding that there was actually an explanation behind mm. it, because they would offer little explanations, and it was a very high budget um, franchise. So, because we all thought, oh, there's an answer to this, it was the best. And in the second mm. half, when they didn't provide answers and they provided more mysteries. Nobody really enjoyed those mysteries so much because yeah. we had this deflated sense of well they're not they don't have the art like there's no they're just making it up so um, yeah you're so right you sort of need to be convinced that there is an answer and you don't necessarily need to find out that yeah. answer you just have to know that it's there yeah and that makes you look yeah 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 totally oh my god do you know what I was thinking while you were talking about that which is like so obvious it's the thing I always think but isn't that like a metaphor for life for like it. Like, the first series, and they were, you know, letting you know all these things that could happen, and everything seemed significant, and then, like, in the second half, it's like, no, no, that was actually meaningless, and, you know, that was a dead end there, and <laughs> everyone's like, oh, what is this shit? Like, <laughs> we were expecting all these great things, and then now it's just chaos. <laughs> yeah, now we're, like, in the later seasons, where it's... <laughs> well, that's, like, after, like, 40 or after 35 or something. Oh, yes, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So we must be in like season. What season are we in now? Oh my god! Could you do seasons by decade? Oh my god! Isn't so that we're a in the third decade of life. So we're in season three. Ooh, what just happened? Do you remember? <laughs> <laughs> um. Do I remember what? Like what had happened at the end of season three? Like where in the series of Lost are our lives? Oh, and Lost. Yeah. Um. Oh sh. Okay. So <laughs> in two thousand and seven, there was or two thousand and six, there was the writers' strike. In America, where all the TV writers refuse to write, <laughs> so all TV shows in 2007 are just are either terribly written, 
or very short seasons because all the writers refused to write. Um, and so season three was a great season of Lost, in my opinion, because I'm a huge Lost fan. Mm-hmm. But season four was the writer's strike where it was a reduced season. So at the end of season three, they had to sit. They started to set up a, like a mini arc. Like they set up like a a short mini storyline within the whole storyline. Um, and so end of season three is this weird swerving where the main mysteries are going on. Oh, we've got to get off the island. But suddenly, what happens at the end of season three? I think, oh, is that when the freighter appears? Suddenly a ship appears and there's all this new cast of characters and it's all about dealing with this freighter, the ship. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's all about the ship. And then the ship, you know, that's kind of the season four focus is all about that ship. Um, but yeah, it was really cool. Um, so we're there. We're like we're like pre-ship. We're still trying to get off the island, and next season, our 30s, is going to be short or badly written. (laughs) Next season is the season where, like, the writers of our lives go on strike. Yeah. And we're like, oh, we have to, like, come up with our own dialogue. Wow. Mm. (laughs) This is great. I think we're onto something. I like it. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, it's the, if we're ever if we're ever short on topics, just ask me about Lost because <laughs> I adored Lost to the very end, uh, whereas a lot of people who were fans and hyped about the series dropped, drifted off about halfway through, mm-hmm. and then a lot of people who consider themselves hardcore fans hate the last season because it was so different and you know it, it didn't it, it did think it ended things in a certain way. Yeah. Um, but it's kind of and just in the same way. Like true Star Wars fans, kind of, or they call themselves true Star Wars fans, hate the prequels because the prequels mm-hmm. did things differently. Um, but I'm, I'm, I'm a fan of the Star Wars prequels, and I'm a fan of the last season of Lost. So <laughs> I went because I enjoy it more than them. <laughs> yes, yeah, and that that is very wise. Yeah, whoever enjoys anything more is the winner because yeah, that's the why winner. We're there. That should be a board game rule where it's how do you win? You enjoy it yes, the most. Yes. <laughs> My friend has a philosophy on board games. He always brings up when we're arguing about rules, which mm-hmm. is the, you win if you're having fun and you lose a board game if you're not having fun. And that's really the only rule of a board game. Mm. It's just, are you having fun? Mm. Yeah. So what's the most fun thing? Yeah. 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 I think you can maybe use that in your board game design of like, that can be, how mm. could you build that as the actual meter of who's won? Like, how can you measure that? Oh. Oh. I think when you've got games like Dixit, where after a while it doesn't really matter who's in, who's ahead, I think that is really in line with it. Because the official rules say you have to have your bunny rabbit get round the fairy circle the fastest. But by the time you get to the end, sometimes you just want to keep playing, or sometimes, mm. you know, whoever's in front isn't necessarily having the greatest time. And as soon as you just focus on the fun, it's it's a different game experience. Yeah, yeah cool. We were playing Dead of Winter the other week, and there was this fantastic card that was like, oh, this is actually kind of complicated to explain. You know how you draw these... Please do it. Please do it. at the start of a person's turn, the person before... Wait, wait, before... Sorry, sorry, sorry. I'm just going to stop you. Before you go into that, I think we should give a very brief summary of what this game is in case people don't understand. You, You do it. Okay, so Dead of Winter is a cooperative zombie board game where everyone's working together as survivors of the zombie apocalypse and everybody together is defending a base and scavenging for supplies so you need to work as a team somebody needs to get the fuel someone needs to get the food someone needs to guard the base and deciding who does what is a 
it's it's teamwork, it's cooperation, it's negotiation because you're all looking out for the best of the team. And there are so many things going wrong because it's a, it's a dreadful apocalypse and every, you know yeah. it's, it's just a terrible time. So there's so many things going wrong that it's almost too much to handle, even if you're all working together. So yeah. it's this weird fun that comes out of you you as a group being under so much threat and strain and stress and challenges more than you can handle that you all just have to sort of laugh about it and just scramble and do the best you can kind of like when you're building a sandcastle at the beach and the tide's coming in and you're building it purposely so that the tide will eventually overtake it but you're all working together to try to dig ditches and moats and build the walls up as the tide starts to encroach and it's futile but it's also very very fun Mm. that's the best way i can describe dead of winter yeah yeah totally and this particular (laughs) game that i'm talking about we lost we didn't manage to beat the zombies we got overrun (laughs) yeah we were like wow you know a feeling of despair just (laughs) descended over the whole evening and the group was like the zombies got us (laughs) yeah so what i was going to tell you about is actually a bit different but like so each player gets a turn and then there's this quirky element of the game which is supposed to make it like more unexpected is that if it's my turn the person before me has to draw a card and then they kind of read if blah 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 and then something might happen but like this condition doesn't always come into play and i Mm. drew a card that was like if one of the players yawns during this turn this happens and it was something to do with the group being way too tired and like we ended up you know it affected the game in some way because all of the players were supposedly too tired and like i love the fact that like that was the real world impinging on the game so like i had to secretly Mm. look at everyone who was playing and if anyone yawned like that moment i had to be like whoa no this just happened and then read out the card <laughs> yeah, that's brilliant. Yes, I was like, this is genius. There should be a game with more of that. Just like the real world actually affecting the game. Because you kind of, when you're playing a game, it's like you have the the game level of consciousness. And then there's like real world where anyone can be like, right, I need to go to the toilet or I'm going to go get a drink. But mm. it's cool when like they're intertwined and everything is meaningful mm. potentially. Mm. I think it works well in limited quantities because... And especially, it, I think, it, and you would agree with this. It it seems to work best because no one really knew about that card, yeah. or like no one was kind of on 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 like nobody was like trying to not yawn. People didn't even realize, mm-hmm. and that's like the the most fun of it. Um, if everyone knew that the yawning thing was a thing, or like if you had to read that out, yeah, it would true. take out the fun of it. Yeah. Um. So it's, I think it's fun when it's also a surprise. Mm-hmm. Um. But yeah, I completely agree. You should definitely have more real life in the game. You should definitely mix it up a little. Yeah. 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 Especially when game designers or like these 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 because we're in a I think we're like there's just so many board games being made all the time. There's such an appetite for them. Uh, everyone takes themselves quite seriously, and there's like certain conventions and rules and things like that fly in the face of mm. a lot of game design theory because it's it's so it's so random whether anyone yawns or not, and it's so and if you know that rule, you can kind of like play it a bit. And there's just so many little pothole. Um, uh, you know, little holes in that, but it's it it's sort of saying, you know what, this is fun. This is a fun rule to have. Screw all of your serious game design. <laughs> this we're just doing it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I think any kind of like all the different fields have their own like considerations of like this is what a board game needs to have, and this is what like a novel mm. needs to have, and it's always the people who push that who do the really interesting stuff because 
Yeah, absolutely. And I, I like, like the as one a criteria show, like of, that flouts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like the criteria of a board game is it just needs to be fun. Mm. If you can make it fun, whatever you're doing, whatever it is, that's it. Like that, that fits. Um, you know, and especially I guess the whole like win condition, have some sort of physical game between you. I mean, there's all that stuff, but at the end of the day. Is it fun or not? That should. Be, all I want to do is have a good, fun time with my friends, and this thing is going to help. So, mm. yeah. yeah. And Dead of Winter does that really well. Dead of Winter, when I first played it, or when I first read about it, I think I played it once. It was, played I was it with very. Us, with right? you, that's right. Yeah, <laughs> was it was there. very. I, I was so cynical. I didn't tell you guys this, but I was so cynical right. and skeptical about it because it the box it comes with and the whole all the pieces remind me so much of so many board games that take it themselves so seriously and they're so like they're so no you actually have to go plus two attack over here and they're so to the detriment of fun mm. and they're just so up their own geekiness that <laughs> yeah. um it's it's it, it, it's 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 more serious like it's real serious mm. but dead of winter it's it's chaotic enough that it, you can just like you just laugh, you laugh a lot, yeah. Mm, yeah. Well, I guess the like what I love about board games is their capacity to bring people together and put people in unusual places with their friends that they don't normally find themselves in. And I guess with game design, it's tempting to get lost in like all of the little kind of just game design abstract stuff that you can do and lose sight of the fact that you're just trying to connect people. And mm. yeah, yeah, and that's why. I, when I when I design games, I try to keep them as simple as possible because I know there's a there's this there's this itch in me to just create complicated mechanics and strange new ways about making a board game, mm. which is sort of more fun in terms of the board game theory side of it. But when I want to make an actual game that might work with my friends, you have to really fight that and cull a lot of that and just focus on one simple like that's why Dixit's so genius in my mind because it's a simple mechanic and it's one mechanic and it's such a and that's all it is and it and it doesn't try to push anything it's up to so much of the players themselves to decide what the game will be mm. Mm, yeah, yeah cool cool i've like yeah. you know i've actually only really played board games in the past year i think yeah, yeah, and I, I think it's so oh, great. You're I... such a summer child. <laughs> like a board game baby. <laughs> yeah, it's great. It's a good place to be. <laughs> I bet you're, like, jealous of all the stuff that I'm going to, like, discover on you. Yeah, <laughs> maybe. Yeah. I think I have a funny angle on it because I've read about board games and listened to board game podcasts and all of that since 2006. Five, like my board mm -hmm. game geek registration is two thousand and five, right? So that's over ten years old now. Um, and so since that time, I've been really into the hobby, but I haven't owned board games so much. I've only read about them a lot, and I know a lot about them. So my pl my the place I come from is like a lot of knowledge and a lot of um, sort of understanding about the board game hobby, but not so much experience I mm. guess and so the knowledge is something separate I think like I don't mm. think you're really lacking by not having the knowledge um, I think we're probably pretty close on par in terms of I mean I'm probably a little I've probably definitely played more than you have but I think we're you're not very far behind me in terms of board game experience mm, okay 
at all. Yeah, not at all. Mm. Yeah. I think of you as Tim the board games guy. <laughs> <laughs> I guess you Maybe. are in some respects, you know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I could talk about it for like I I could talk about it, but I haven't I haven't played like our friend Craig. Craig has board games. That guy has got a number of board games, and he's um I think he's probably experienced um, more than us combined for sure. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I am a strong advocate of like board games and social situations. I've realized that yeah. I since I have board games in my life, I don't really need alcohol, which is great because <laughs> I was really, <laughs> you know, like a few years ago when I was living in Germany, I was really looking for a way to need less alcohol in my life because it seemed to be all I did in any social setting. <laughs> it was like let's get kind of drunk and yell at each other about politics. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah, yeah, but I realize it does all of the things that we kind of turn to alcohol to do. Like, it gives mm. you less inhibitions because the pressure is not on the conversation. Mm. It brings people together and gives them a reason to talk to each other. And, like, it, you know, it creates this context where you can be slightly different the way that alcohol enables us to be a slightly different person. Like, I think there's also mm. the placebo effect of when everyone's drunk, when everyone's, you know, how much of that is just people being hyper and feeling more comfortable and being like, oh, it's okay, I can say this because I'll just say that I was drunk, you know? Yeah, and board games give that same little trigger yeah. or social space because yeah. especially silly ones or party ones, as mm-hmm. soon as you can break that ice, it's all on. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, I know exactly what you mean. Uh, it's interesting how alcohol is so strongly associated with that frame of mind when it doesn't really have to be. Mm. Um, yeah. yeah. I think that's kind of just a feature of our society that we do really carefully cultivate the image that we show. You know, it's kind of like those two things go hand in hand the fact that we are not really encouraged to be genuinely vulnerable in most of our lives and then you know you get these very specific situations where everyone is drunk and then suddenly you know all of this stuff comes out you know suddenly you're like hugging your friends and being like oh my god you guys are the best people ever and it's not normally acceptable to be like that you know so i think yeah, if we loosen up on how we are in a lot of social situations, we won't need to use alcohol in that way. And yeah, mm. what do you think? Yeah, I think I think so. <laughs> I think there are certain modes of existing that are deemed safe and acceptable by society in a way that people don't like to think about or make explicit. So you go to work. You might watch TV or read a book or go on the internet. Oh, sorry, I'm sorry, I'm going to divide these up. So, like, you go to work and you're working. You've got, like, a p- professional way of conducting yourself. Mm. And then you might watch TV, go home, watch TV, make dinner. And then you've got that sort of a leisure way of conducting yourself. And then, uh, you know, you might be at a wedding and there are certain ways to conduct yourself there. And so when you're out with your friends at a bar drinking or you're at a party and you're drunk, there's a certain way sort of a, a socially approved way of conducting yourself there mm. and uh, we, 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 we allow ourselves to stay within these it feels good and it feels nice to stay within these um, conducts because everyone else is and it, it's fine and, it is, and, and so it's okay um, if you're at a party and everyone wants to play board game and one guy is being drunk 
that's sort of not the way you conduct yourself at that party and it's and it's i mean it's abrasive but it's also sort of flies in the face of that um and we don't like it we don't like it when people are conducting themselves inappropriately for the situation for good reason but we also don't like it or we don't it can be very uncomfortable to step outside um and and try new ways to conduct yourself so even just I mean, the whole idea of sitting around with friends and playing a board game for a night is a way, is is sort of a, a social way to conduct yourself that a lot of people wouldn't feel comfortable doing, even today, I think. Um, I forgot what your question was, by the way. I was just getting really into using the word <laughs> conduct as like a, as some sort of like capital letter C. Um, yeah. No, I, I was thinking of questions while you were, or you were speaking, actually. Yeah, like, I, on. I always want to say, like, let's not have these different modes of behavior. Let's just be more. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Sorry. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I think if people, so, people, so, so, so getting drunk and going to a bar and drinking after work, that's like a very socially sanctioned way to conduct yourself. And it's not necessarily a great one, but it's just one everyone does out of habit. And, uh, and and releases like you know their their inhibitions there and what you're saying is perhaps we should modify the way we conduct ourselves so we don't necessarily need to rely on that to release mm. our inhibitions perhaps if yeah. overall we can be a little bit more uh less inhibited i think i completely agree with you and that's why i really push myself to be confident socially and push myself to be very frank and honest socially mm. i'm not to try to be obnoxious or abrasive but to or too much, but like just to keep pushing things in an authentic way. Yes. Yeah. 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 You definitely do that. Yeah. I try. And I do. do. Yeah. Yeah. No. No. Yeah. I think you really you do you do that in a good way. Well, you've sort of met me in that mode or that sort of when I finally kind of got my rhythm there. Okay. Um, because for most of my life I've been quite a, like a quiet, in a antisocial way, sort of mode of conducting myself like I've always been I've, I used to be very uh, 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 wary of making friends or talking to new people and so I've had to put conscious significant effort into talking to new people and being that person um, for my own for, for just just for um, for I think a better quality of life for me and hopefully the people I meet mm, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, yeah, like, I definitely, I know that you enjoy talking to new people, and I do too. I was just wondering, like, do you think that you, um, do you get genuine enjoyment out of it, or is it something that you enjoy doing to prove to yourself that you can? <gasps> oh my goodness, that's such an excellent question! That's, that's a, a really question? good way to put it. That's a really excellent question. That's like a yeah. flippin' amazing way to place it. Because <laughs> I literally wrote in my notes... I got such a bright gonna... words are so like, excited about <laughs> that. I'm, like, I'm a little bit shaken up. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> I scared you. I thought you were freaking out or something. <laughs> oh, let's, just, let's calm like, down. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> I, I wrote in my notes, and this isn't going to make sense, but trust me, this is exactly what we're talking about. Mm-hmm. I, I once enjoyed the anxiety of never going on the roller coaster at Rainbow's End. <laughs> I once enjoyed the anxiety of never going on the roller coaster at Rainbow's End. Um, right, so right. I once enjoyed the pain, 
I felt of being too scared to go on the roller coaster at Rainbow's End. Just in the same way, I think I once enjoyed the pain of going up and talking to new people, and it wasn't enjoying. I wasn't enjoying it, um, and it was like a challenge for me. But I enjoyed, on some meta level, I enjoyed that challenge, and I enjoyed that, like hardship of, okay. of. And so when you ask, do you do you, when you talk to new people, do you genuinely like do you enjoy it? directly or do you just enjoy the challenge of it mm. um, I think when I first started I definitely enjoyed the challenge of it but now I enjoy it directly and I don't find it so challenging mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. well yeah. my impression from watching you is that you do seem to genuinely enjoy it and that you would miss it if you didn't do it yes yes yeah. but that's that's sort of grown out of I, I think I found that much later than when I was mm. doing it. So if you met me maybe in 2010, 2000 and, yeah, 2010 when I started to come out of my shell and I was mm. flatting and everything and going to parties and meeting new people for the... Like, I'd never really gone to a party before the age of 20. So when I was finally doing that, I would do it, and but I would find it highly uncomfortable and <laughs> excruciating mm. and uh, I did not enjoy it directly. Like, when I was on BFM... As when I was on the radio, um, uh, I found that very uncomfortable and not enjoyable at all. And it was it was awful, but I did it because I enjoyed doing something that was really difficult, and I enjoyed pushing myself. Um, yeah. Wow. So I will ask you. Met... you... Oh yeah, you go. Oh, that's it. So you've met me. So to quote the end of Fight Club, you've met me at a authentic time of my life. Okay. <laughs> it's, it's weird that, like, you know, like, I, I have my way that I see you, but that's, like, actually only a tiny little part that you show to, like, the people that I am a part of. Like, for other people, they like, uh, see you in a completely different way. And it's yeah, maybe. That. I think you see me just as most people in my life see me, though, now. I don't think I, like, tr- I don't think I... I don't think you... I don't think I'm someone with you or the friends we have different to with anyone else really okay yeah Mm, yeah yeah i can kind of relate to what you were saying with like first you set the challenge and then it yeah gradually you enjoy it genuinely i think yeah it's difficult to to understand that unless you've been through it because like it's the kind of thing where like the first few times you try it's really uncomfortable and you're like holy shit i can never imagine being comfortable doing this you know and it's mm. amazing that things like that can actually just become parts of us become parts of our personality and i think that's what happened to me as well yeah 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 yeah, yeah totally like i told so you, you how, um, mm, yeah no no say 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 no 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 you ask i want to know your question um i was just going to say so you you had the same similar arc where you would talk to people or you would mm-hmm. socialize and you found it a little uncomfortable Yes. And then eventually you did it enough that that un- you became numb to that uncomfortable feeling and it just felt fine. Yeah, yeah, totally. Probably a bit earlier than you. Like, for me, it was when I started uni. We kind of talked about oh, yep. this a little bit once as mm. well. But, like, yeah, that was when I started, like, approaching people and talking to them. And before then, I would have just been 
terrified of doing that. I wouldn't have dreamt of talking to someone who wasn't already my friend. It would be like, why? Why? <laughs> yeah, why? Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Like, I've got my friends. Why would I want to mm-hmm. talk to them? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All I yeah. did was link- listen to Linkin Park and, like, <laughs> talk to, like, one other person in my life everyone else I'd kind of run from. But, yes. Yeah, so that was, that was me. And then I decided to just do full circle and um, talk to people be one of the people that talks to people and I don't even remember why it was just some kind of decision that I had like right we've done that we've done the being quiet let's try something else now Mm, yeah (laughs) I think a lot of life is that like all right I'm done with that (laughs) yeah (laughs) um I I, I, we got to be careful though you and I people who do like to push push ourselves socially and, and talk to people because I think we are at least I forget that a lot of people aren't like that and do have maybe a couple of friends and don't necessarily want you to be their friend as well. And um, and don't that's not that. really about you. Yeah. Or, you know, I'm talking about me. It's not really about me. It's more about that they have every right in the world to not necessarily, you know, be your friend because they, like, why? <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. like... And that we shouldn't not, take it I'm personally, not any sp- yeah. No way. And, like, we're hardly any... Like, we're not more special than those people. In fact for this person's life like we're just these weird strangers so like we don't need to press ourselves upon everyone we meet you know like it's it's almost it's quite rude to do that i think so i just have to remember that when i'm getting along with someone new that just because we're getting along well doesn't necessarily mean that um i should be offended when they don't want to hang when i when i message them on facebook and it just is yeah. seen and <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> things that I want to say about that (laughs) but first one is I was thinking about like the arc of when you start pushing yourself socially I feel like you you go like I went from being quite quiet and only having like a few really close friends who I really opened up to and then I'd when I started just talking to strangers and things I think you kind of in some ways you realize what a freak you are when you like have more contact with like lots of different people it's like well I'm quite niche and these like 90% of the conversations that I've been having in my whole life have been really really niche and when I talk to other people outside of this I'm gonna have to have quite a different type of conversation because they keep on asking me about my hobbies and I don't know what my hobbies are and I'm like freaking out and yeah so that was that was the uncomfortable part And then Mm. I think maybe you talk to enough people and are in enough awkward situations that you start to just kind of normalize yourself a bit. Mm. And then you get your edges kind of rounded off a little bit, maybe painfully. I don't know. Do you mean normalize? Do you mean normalize how, like, like you get used to um, the awkwardness so it doesn't affect you so much or do you mean normalize how you conduct yourself socially and I was thinking normalize how you conduct yourself okay yeah. yeah and instead of being like you know brutally honest you'll kind of just learn how to answer these questions that everyone asks socially and like just learn how to deal with the awkward situations in a slightly more graceful way other than just like being totally awkward about it um and I think yeah we kind of normalize ourselves and then we have what you maybe had a few years ago when you just decide this isn't really me i'm gonna be more authentic and then we kind of probably slowly at first start pushing like 
a little bit more of our true selves out into the social sphere, having like previously like hidden it all away purposefully because it made things uncomfortable. Yeah. Does that make any sense? Uh, should I yeah, summarize it? Yeah, that makes it? total sense. I'm just every mm. time you, you you said one of those like thoughts, I was running through moments in my life where I have felt mm. those things, and that makes yeah. total sense. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I wonder if that's a pattern that could like apply to all kinds of other learning and things that you yeah oh, you do it entirely oh. in your own way or like you know like how you could learn art by you know doing your own thing then imitating and then creating your own spin on things and it's like know. when i yeah it's like when i did performance poetry and i haven't done any down on wellington yet so i'm going to say did because i'm not actively doing any right now when i did performance poetry at first i mean it was uncomfortable but at first i was rounding my edges to play it mm. safe I guess and as I became more comfortable with being on stage I then pushed my front maybe maybe it's sort of like this the same thing that pushes you to be to do something uncomfortable like socialize if you're not a social person is the same thing that or the same drive that will push you to be your authentic self after you're felt like you can socialize because that's the new frontier that's the new awkward that's the new um, <laughs> difficult and so it's now it's yeah. not now it's like an extra it's like playing a video game or something it's like extra difficulty challenge like it was yeah now now like socializing is easy like, let's try socialize as my authentic awkward. self <laughs> yeah like let's try like if i can socialize my authentic self that's like way harder and like that's so much more of a challenge and that's where i'm at so maybe maybe that's it you know maybe we're just mm. sort of increasing our um increasing where the frontier is so that we can yeah. so we can reap the dividends <laughs> yeah yeah what do you think the next frontier is gonna be oh like, my goodness. where are we gonna be in politicians like five of lost? <laughs> <laughs> i don't know i think perhaps uh, maybe just resignation that like all right we've done enough there let's try something else like we don't need to define ourselves <laughs> or like see ourselves as where we are how we're doing like what our social skills are or anything like maybe we can just be done with that and just become huge hermits yeah. or something i don't know <laughs> yeah. who knows it might also be just this cycle that you go from like mm. branching out normalizing and then sort of how like at the start you know we go to every party that we get invited to even if it might be shit because you never know and then you kind of gradually i think become more discerning mm, or at least that's mm, what i'm doing these days mm, like, yeah, no yeah. probably not that party you know and then yeah, maybe yeah. at some point we kind of decide that we're limiting ourselves too much and we decide to branch out again ah oh, like a sine wave yeah 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 and maybe it's that in terms of also like normalizing yourself and being authentic that like you might decide yeah. at some point right i love being authentic and i'm really glad that i learned how to do that and i will always be able to do that but i'm realizing that i may be pushing people away by being white mm. myself and that i mm. will actually get more ideas from more people and more thoughts more conversations if i learn when to normalize myself and when to be authentic and i think that's something that i'm in some ways not interested in just yet i'm like i'm on the authentic vibe and i don't want to give that up but that might be where i go mm, next maybe i think i've seen you definitely at parties talk quite authentically and quite loudly. uh yeah <laughs> did you say loudly <laughs> yes. yeah <laughs> <laughs> 
authentically and loudly as a combo. Yeah, no, I think I've seen you, like, go on your own little tangent, which is something I know you can do, and you figure things out in a certain way, sort of talking about, like, as you're talking right now. Uh, and then the people in the conversation circle find it mm-hmm. difficult to keep up, or they find they were, like, with you, and then they lost you at some certain point, um, because you've sort of pushed it further than they were expecting or you took it in a different direction and they just thought that you're gonna like have some small talk or some like banter and then you're like trying to like figure out this like new insight you've had and and they don't know how to contribute to that yeah do you follow yeah 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 Yeah, i've definitely seen you do that exact party you're thinking about oh i was thinking of the last windmill my one yeah. Yeah. Um, I think just once I saw you, but I just thought that was really interesting. How, like the things you were saying. I think the audience was just a bit terrible. Like the things you were saying, I think you again re- repeated them again, or you were on that same buzz later in the evening when we we're sitting on the couch. But there was a point where we were outside, like just talking, and everyone's drinking, and then the people you were talking to weren't on that level. But mm. the point I'm trying to make is that they didn't, is that you, like, quite consciously decided just to finish your thought and explain your insight anyway, um, as sort of a, as sort of a, um, exercise in being authentic, rather than being, like, generalised and, you know, rounding yeah. the, the edges. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, no, totally. Yeah, totally. and I thought that was real cool, yeah. Yeah, it's always, like, it's kind of a... I've previously always thought of it as like a balance that you need to find mm. between being authentic and normalizing yourself so that like you don't freak people out. And yeah, I've been kind of experimenting in some ways with like where I want to be on that balance. But um, recently, yeah. one of the things I realized was like, I had this massive insight that was like, what if it's not a scale and I need to find the right place on it? What if it is just a cycle? and I will go through a phase of doing one and then I'll fall back and do the other and then that will just continue and that I don't need to yeah well the idea with that is that I can forgive myself both extremes because I see that like one can lead to the other does that make yeah, any sense? yeah it does it's sort of what it's not like you're going down this rabbit hole and you'll end up just down this rabbit hole in this dark place this rabbit hole is leading to another land and then the other land will have a rabbit hole and it's just a cycle so you shouldn't be afraid to keep going down this rabbit hole because it's not going to take you further away from the other oscillation yeah 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 and just like i can have insane conversations and i can have quite normal conversations yeah and I, yeah, yeah yeah i think yeah, it's, like it's really interesting my friend kyle once drunkenly described me as someone who can be very uh sort of i don't think he used the term navel gazing but he was sort of sort of implying i can sort of sit down at a party in a kitchen or something and just talk about uh like life and religion and all that and just have that sort of that sort of conversations that you and i both absolutely adore but i can also be someone who is at the party like you know at the karaoke or whatever just doing m&m or just you know just being silly um you know, just like 
drinking somewhere. I mean, this is back in our early twenties, so I guess it's a bit different now. But I, I could be no, someone you, who was. You are, yeah. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I could be someone who was like absolutely silly at a party, or like just like having a good time in like a very casual way. And then I can also be this person who's quite serious as well. Um, I can sort yeah. of jump between the two quite consciously, whereas um, he was he he felt like he didn't really have that ability to do that. Like he was he could do one in an evening. Yeah, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. something like that. Yeah, yeah. I was thinking people like us and people like you know most of our friends were kind of like this odd mix of being children and being like. I don't want to say adults, but like super, super analyzing things or just like being really, really silly. Yeah. And I was trying to imagine us. It's like we never quite fit in. Like when we're kids (laughs) and everyone else's kids, we're like looking at everything and being like, this is, this is bullshit. Like why why are people going along with this? And then we end up being adults and we just want to climb trees and do silly stuff. And then the adults are like, what what are you doing? Yeah. Yeah, I understand that a thousand percent, and I hope anyone listening to this also, I think a lot of people will feel that too, because I don't think we're yeah. alone in this. It's definitely no, this weird no, conflation. Yeah. And honestly, like, sometimes when I've gone back and listened to some of our podcast conversations, I just sometimes think to myself, God, Tim, you're so serious. You're taking things so seriously. But this is where I like to be serious <laughs> about certain things, um, and I don't have to be this all the time, you know? Like, I don't know, like, I can... Ah, uh, I just, I think... I enjoy analyzing stuff and intellectualizing stuff and being inquisitive to my own detriment sometimes because it means I like I think I can overly do that at say a party or like some social thing when I could just be having fun and I don't and I could and that's fun as well in its own way but I could I don't I think you can lose the silliness if you don't engage with it, you can lose the child in you if you don't allow that to happen. And I think my one of my big concerns as I mature and get older is that I don't lose that hmm. lightness amongst a sea of let's just read a book on everything and let's intellectualize everything. Hmm. And, oh, there'll be a Wikipedia article for that. You know, like, that's where my mind can often go as a habit. And I'd rather... Did I talk about this on the podcast? How I I think I did. How I made it like I performed a poem once, which was about how I was on a dance floor and I was analyzing like the disco ball and I was like intellectualizing the dancing as some sort of like you know through the ends of like social anthropology in my own way and it was like gross you know like I wasn't I wasn't spouting this to people but in my own mind I felt gross about that like I I longed to just not to just turn my brain off and just be able to dance for the sake of dancing. Oh, I remember that poem. Yeah. yeah. It's great. <laughs> uh, thanks. Yeah. Such a great poem. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, you kind of just have to ride whatever wave you're on, right? Is, is there much mm. to be gained from like forcing your mind into a different space? I think so. There's this whole theory of, uh, therapy called cognitive behavioral therapy, where you're focusing on consciously, mm. Diverting manipulating your, your thoughts yeah because you can you can get your mind in unhealthy places and i think they can extend to 
mm. having a habit to say worry too much or having a habit to not enjoy yourself at a party and I think as we get older we have to force ourselves mm. to relax a lot because most of our adult life is taken up by being very as mature and responsible and efficient as we can yeah yeah, yeah. definitely yeah and we need to keep sight of other things because yeah they're super important as well yeah i think it is really important though there with like judging when to when you want to divert your mind to have like an internal compass of like what you want out of the situation as opposed to what you feel like you should be doing how do you mean like if you're in the situation where you're you know, you're dancing with your friends and you're just musing on this mirror ball and having all these thoughts about it and your friends are like, come on, come on, dance. It's like, you have to decide within yourself, like, do I want to dance or do I want to, like, consider the situation that we're in? Mm. And, like, both are valid and I think it's important not to give way to the peer pressure, not Mm. to give way to, like, what society is telling you that you should be doing in a club because if you want to do something Mm. else and you're going to get enjoyment out of that, that's fine. Mm. Yeah, I think, yeah, that ties into a thought I had the other day, which was that hmm. one's own personal meaning that they can ascertain or or grab out of an event or something in their life is the most highest and most advanced and special and best meaning. Because there are certain ways to enjoy stuff. Like, you go to a movie and you enjoy a movie in a very conventional way. You'll sit in the movie seat and you'll watch the film and you'll laugh at us laugh at the jokes or whatever but and that's fine and that's cool i do i love to do that all the time but say you decided to go to the movies and you decided to wear a uh eye mask the entire movie to simulate being blind and you wanted to experience the movie as a blind person would out of personal interest i feel that's you're you're already miles ahead in terms of having a rich and deep deeply meaningful experience at the movies and i think if you can create your own meaning in life in that way you're i feel like that's the deepest richest sort of way you can mine meaning out of life yeah 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 i'm a massive fan of just knowing what you want and having your own kind of measurements of success Mm. Mm. yeah like I'm kind of aware with my job like I I don't mind people asking me what I do because I love my job and I love it like internally it's not because of how I appear to anyone else it's just I know that it validates a lot of things that are inside me and I kind of take Mm. that approach I guess to everything as well yeah that's cool you do that and do you find when people ask you what do you do, do you find because you have consciously felt that, or like, you know, in your mind you've explicitly felt that um, you you enjoy your own measure of success through your internal meaning you grab from your job, um, their opinion doesn't matter so much? Their opinion doesn't matter at all. <laughs> like, I remember you saying how sometimes you're affected by that, and that yeah. was, like, totally alien to me wow. the concept that like your job needs to answer to anyone other than you wow i'd never even considered feeling that wow yeah yeah really 
really. Well, <laughs> like I've been at parties and I've been unemployed, and I just told people that I read books with my life, and they were really jealous. Because <laughs> like, <laughs> I felt fine about myself, and like, yeah, you know, I think with especially with our jobs, like we we answer to ourselves. Like I'm the one that's spending hours and hours of my life at work. Mm. Like it affects me. I don't need to care what anyone else thinks about how I spend my time. Mm. Exactly right. Um, and sort of like when I say going to the movies with an uh, with an eye mask on, yeah. I don't need to necessarily explain that to anyone. I mean, I've never done that. I just thought of that now. But I, it's in the same vein that sort of meaning you create for yourself that you don't need to explain to anyone else. You know, you've sort of transcended the the standard meaning plane and you've found your own self-sufficient meaning. It's like you've got your own little garden of meaning in your backyard and you don't necessarily yeah. have to rely on the supermarket or anyone else's gardens or their, you know, mm. their opinion or their currencies because yeah. you're self-sufficient. And I think a lot of people long to be where you are, Katie, in terms of your... Um, self-sufficiency there I think I think a lot of people I think I speak as a representative of the tribe of ang- people who have status anxiety and are and um, and uh, sort of uh, quite envious of 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 your sort of seemingly natural ability to um, uh, not and as you say like uh, feel like that's completely alien you know You just need to think about what you want mm. from your life, you know? And it's a lot more complicated if you want other people to accept you. Yeah, you that's know? what it is. Yeah. It's this yeah. it's this embedded requirement that what I want is for other people to be impressed with me or to like me, mm. um, that a lot of people have inside them that they don't necessarily realize they have that. Yeah. Mm. Um, yeah, I mean... I think the problem there is that, like, I mean, I I have that too, but I recognize that, like, I need maybe a few people to really accept me as a person. Mm. And then with that energy, I can go out and be myself in front of a whole heap of other people who might not accept me. And all I have to remember is that there are these, you know, five people in my life that think I'm okay. And that, you know, if I keep hold of that, that's okay. You know? The problem is, Katie, is that a lot of people don't have those five people in their lives. They might have no one in their mm. life who will just accept them for who they are apart from their job or their status mm. or whatever. Like, I think, a l- I don't know. I don't know how you'd even measure this, but I feel most people don't have that and wouldn't know where to start finding those sort of people. Yeah, so you're sort mm. of you're sort of very blessed um, and I am too, because yeah. I, I definitely have friends similar that we're very blessed to have good, good people in our lives that um, uh, just take us as us, you know, and we take them as the, it's like a different value system, you know, like I feel like in my friend groups, our value system is, is quite, we, we look for things in each other and we've made friends with each other based on other stuff. I'm not sure what that is, but it's not jobs. Like I don't, you know, it's not, it's not um, necessarily, uh, you know, um, baseline on the street, um, uh, you know, uh, social status in terms of generalized um, 
It's interesting, in China, doctors don't have much social status, and they're not seen as um, prestigious, whereas in Europe and in the West, they are. Um, and it just goes to show how how subjective and malleable that whole system is. Yeah. Yeah. And if I, like for me, it's the same. Like if I have, for me, I guess, my I feel my self-worth, my exterior self-worth comes a lot from my, like, my exterior s- feelings of my own social status come from, am I adding to my friends' lives? Um, am I... Giving, contributing to theirs more than I'm taking, and am I being a good friend? And if I am, and they give me signals that I am, that gives me a boost of my own social status in that exterior sense, as opposed to self worth. Oh wow, that's beautiful. That's such a nice way to like think about your the friendships in your life. Wow. But I think you do that too, and I think very selfish. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) No, no, I think you do that too, though. I just I've never really thought about that way, but I think I. I think that's what I, I think you do that too, and I think a lot of people we both know do that as well. We're all um, a little more considerate, and that's or we are. I think we're, we both know quite a few considerate people. Um, so if you're listening to this and you're one of our friends, which you most likely are, because I feel like our <laughs> listenership like is our friends, <laughs> and if you didn't tell anyone else about that's it, that's true. <laughs> I love that. Um, then we both consider you quite considerate, especially if you're listening to this, because. That's that's quite <laughs> it's very considerate of you to put the time aside for that. Um, yeah. Um, but if you're listening to this and you aren't our friends, holy crap, you're probably our first listener that we don't know. <laughs> so wow, that's really if you're rare. If you listen to this, you probably should be our friend and just yeah, kind of, like us, get in contact with us. Send us a message. We, we mentioned the fact that we always have open friend slots, and yes. other people find that awkward. <laughs> <laughs> We're taking candidates. Yeah. Uh, one of one of our mutual friends said something so beautiful to me. He said the door is always open, like just after I'd met him, and it's kind of like, you know, my life Whoa. is open. Come and be yeah. in it if you want. You know what I thought you yeah, said so when you special. first said that? I thought you said the fedora is always open. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, no. That's wonderful. I don't tell me who it is on air because. Um, mm, you said no, one of our mutual friends on purpose, but I would be intrigued to know who that was, because um, that's a really kind of wonderful turn of phrase to use when you meet someone. The door is always open. I feel like when I, yeah. if I ever have, um, if I ever meet some nice people, uh, uh, when I'm flirting in Wellington, that's something I could say, <laughs> that could make yeah. them feel good and make me feel good. Yeah. 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 Um. Okay, so I wrote down this note from in my notepad document from last week, and I thought we should follow it up. So, are mm-hmm. you ready? And I think so. <laughs> last week, <laughs> we'll see. this is like me. It's almost like being a stickler. But I, last week, I was mentioning how mystery is beautiful and the most beautiful thing, in a way. Mm-hmm. And we we're talking about crushes, and I said something about how when I meet someone and I have a crush on them, it's the mystery. And what I don't know about them, which is like really cool. And then when we finally meet each other, like, when we finally get to know each other, like we might just yeah. disappoint each other or something. I don't know. And then you said you've got a yeah. counter theory to that. Do you remember what yeah, that counter theory that. is? Oh, that's going to. I don't have the energy for that. Okay, never mind about that. <laughs> <laughs> but no, you, you tell me your thoughts. No, I, I, last week I said all my thoughts, and you said that you'll. Um, 
follow it up with your thoughts on it. So maybe another week you can um, do yours. Yeah, you yeah, know, I think that's a whole other thing. Oh, okay, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I have to like rake in my thoughts for that. That's like, yeah, that's a very, very messy garden. Of okay. That I need to sort out before Let's I Let's close that, that door anyone. gently. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, um, yeah, can yeah. I share with you a phrase my, or a sentence my friend said to me when they were describing Wellington? Mm. And I thought it was really well done. And I don't think they meant to be poetic, but I really enjoyed it. Um, oh, would, I love it when that happens. Yeah, <laughs> so I wrote it down to say unintentional poetry. Yeah, and it's so it's not it's not yeah it's just it's just a phrase, but I really enjoyed it. And they were describing Wellington, and they said, "The streets, uh, what is it? the streets are safe and well lit, and you invariably end up at the ocean." Wow. Yeah, the streets are safe and well lit, and you invariably end up at the ocean. I thought that was yeah, that's Wellington. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's that's home. Eh? Yeah. That's where you want to be. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Wow. That was real cool. Yeah. 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 I I want to talk about Wellington in another podcast. Okay. I want to talk about mystery. Finally, I want to tell you the rest of my weekend because I got to about like the first like one and a half hours of my weekend, and then we started talking about other things. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, awesome. That's true. Um, so we stop now. Pardon? So we stop now. Stop the podcast now. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Feels like a natural end. We don't. Yeah. Oops. Oh well. We can edit this. <laughs> should we? St- should we stop now? Yeah. Just get, show us a sign. Should we stop? <laughs> Um, oh, there's so, so many things I wanted to say, though. Can we talk a bit more? Oh, no, no, yeah, no, let's keep going. No, no, that, that was a question. Uh, that wasn't, like, a yeah, request to no. stop. No, it felt no, like an you, intro you ending don't. to something. Um, I was thinking about my idea, my theory, that podcasts are just a terrible word for recorded conversation. Um, mm, maybe not so terrible. Which is so beautiful. Yeah. Thank you. I've that on my mind. My theory is that humans... Or podcasts... The idea of podcasts are evolving from more of a radio show-based um, like uh, mm. content, like Format. to a more of a um, uh, this 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 realization that people just really like to listen in on other people's conversations and eavesdrop. And so, mm. when you're at a cafe and you could eavesdrop on somebody, it's hard. It can be hard not to. And it's really interesting. You're not even. It's not. It's it's being nosy and sort of. You don't even really care who they are so much. It's just more you're fascinated to how two other people that you aren't a part of, how they conduct themselves in the conversation. Like, every conversation you're a part of, by being part of it, you're disturbing it or influencing it. Um, mm, and so you've yeah. only really known conversations where you're, like, you've had an influence yes. and your messiness has yes. impacted it. But when you get to just shut up and just listen to your friends talk or another conversation, um, it's really interesting. It's really interesting to me just to, like, listen in. Like, I find... Like, uh, yeah. yeah, I don't know. Like, I really enjoy that. And so I was thinking about all the podcasts I listen to, and they're starting to veer more and more towards just people just talking, like we're doing. Um, mm. And I think people enjoy that. And I was thinking about why I don't like audiobooks so much, and I think it's because with an audiobook, if you start to daydream, you might miss a few lines, and suddenly you don't know what's going on and who is that character. Um Whereas with a conversation, you can drift away and daydream for a while and come back, and it's not like you missed anything 
in a narrative sense you can sort of jump into yes. a conversation again and so when you're listening to a podcast on the bus or wherever you are um you can sort of daydream for a while and then snap back to the conversation and um mm. i think that's mm. why people are really enjoying listening to um uh, a conversational podcast and also um my friend and i were talking last night i was sharing these thoughts with a friend last night and they had this really interesting insight which was that um, they listen to a lot of comedy podcasts and they were trying to describe why it was funny in a different way to watching a, a tv show or mm-hmm. like a comedy show and they were saying how when you listen to a podcast and uh, he was saying he bursts out laughing on the street like he'll just start laughing in a store um it's when you listen to a comedy podcast it's because you're you, you, i think you're being your brain isn't been entirely tricked but you're sort of participating as a listener in a way that you would if you were at a conversation circle with your friends and you're not talking and you're just listening to them make jokes and so in that sense you would burst out laughing there and it's a very intimate direct um uh, sort of form of comedy that you're overhearing and being a member of whereas a comedy yeah. show or a tv show it's like you're watching it and then you're mm. not reacting to it i don't know it's hard to explain but like yeah, 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 yeah. you know what i mean like yeah 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 it's like you're you're part of the situation as a yes to yes and so your body and, and so when you laugh like you you'll laugh at people are laughing out loud yeah 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 because in some ways like if we're part of a situation and we find it funny like i you know like you laugh internally and you also laugh to show the other people your appreciation at like what they're doing and so yeah probably all of that also gets stressed into your laughter when you are even though you know that they can't hear you yeah Hmm. it's also interesting that um like i guess just spectating on other people's conversations is a cool thing like you learn the way that other people have conversations and it's true that like we influence every single conversation just by being present like even if you're not saying anything you're still like the guy that's sitting in the corner not saying anything and someone will at some point comment on it you know mm. yeah or modulate how they say things I... with your because you're there of course mm. yeah 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 i wish it was like <laughs> wouldn't it be cool if we had like just some kind of weird society where you could just like listen into people's conversations like if people are having a conversation instead of eavesdropping being a weird thing you could just go sit like down with them and be like hey and just sort of sit there and listen and they'd be like oh yeah someone's just interested in what we're saying yeah yeah (laughs) and you could have and you could and you could have a build-up so you might have three or four people at your table at a cafe just silently listening to you chat with your friends and everyone's totally okay with it Oh my goodness, oh, that that's such an ingenious <laughs> thought, Katie. <laughs> it's totally doable, eh? Just like modify, you know, modify our social codes to make it okay. With yeah, just a bit of social engineering. <laughs> I think in a way that does mm-hmm. happen at parties if you think about it with social circles, with like conversation circles, how often it will be maybe if yes. you'll have a couple participants, yeah. but you'll always have at least one lurker. And, you'll always, and then sometimes it will build up and you'll have maybe three or four people talking and making jokes. And then mm. you'll have uh, another three or four people listening and, and not making jokes and laughing at the jokes and being the audience. Mm. Um yeah. So that happens at parties, but it doesn't seem to happen at cafes. Cafes are a very private affair. Mm. Yeah. 
Which is odd that people like go to a public space when they could just stay at home and drink coffee and then they can <laughs> build up this odd like privacy around themselves. Yeah. Maybe shouldn't be there. I don't know. Cafes are fascinating yeah. how they are this place where you go yeah, you're right, do you go in public to be private and everyone ignores each other. Mm. Like completely ignores yeah. each other for the sake of you know, pretending that you're the only people in the room. But also, you would never really go yeah. to a cafe if no one else was there. Like, busy cafes seem to attract more I know, people. I... Yeah. Yeah, people go felt kind of like the atmosphere. I guess it's the same reason that, like, people are supposedly happy in small cities if they can look out of their window and see, like, people crossing the street and hear snippets of people's conversations. I think there's kind of something really comforting about having people around but also have your own little mm. shield up. I think that makes us feel safe, but also gives us privacy, maybe? Yeah, I never really thought of that. So, you mean, what do you mean small cities, like pedestrian cities? Yeah, yeah. I mean, just like the idea that, like, the way that people used to make cities in Europe makes us quite happy. I think, you know, that School of Life video, How to Make Beautiful Cities or something, mm-hmm. talks about just like how you can construct, construct a city to give people happiness. And I think one of the things is that you have, like, the buildings are not too tall, maybe, like, four stories. And then, yeah, I mean, I've lived in cities like that where you could just look out of the window and then, you know, there's not many cars because obviously cars make people unhappy because they're loud and polluting. But, like, if you have, yeah, a more pedestrian city, you just can look out and you can hear people's conversations when people walk past and you can see people all the time. After a while, you also recognize the people that live in the street, and then you feel somewhat at home around them, even if you never talk to them. Hmm. Yeah. That's really cool. Yeah. I'm trying to think of over... I've definitely had that before. Um, And, yeah, you're right. I do like that, and I miss it. Um, I think... I think that's, in some ways, what soap operas are getting at. Uh. (laughs) Like, you know how they're called, like, neighbours and things. Like, I think, like, often in Europe there'll be, like, a big window, or at least the cities that I lived in, there's a big window, and you can kind of sit on the windowsill, it's big enough, and then basically, like, instead of having a soap opera, you just watch the people in your street. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I think soap operas tap into that, like, little desire of us. Yeah. Yeah, the people watching desire. The same desire that drives people to listen to recorded conversations or listen mm-hmm. in. Yeah, yeah, we love that, watching others. Um, in, this, in, yeah. in the same School of Life video, or at least a related one, they talk about public squares and how the most optimized mm. maximum distance in a public square is uh, far enough that you can far enough to be a good size because you want to maximize how big the square is but you don't want it so big as that you would not recognize someone on the other side of the square and be able mm. to call out at me and yeah. say hey i'm over here so you sort of want yeah. um the sweet zone where you see each other as human beings and not uh just shapes or um yeah you need mm. that proximity yeah 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 that's what you want in cities i think to see other people as people mm. recognize them, not become like nameless people, because that's when you start to kind of dehumanize, generalize, yeah. And like, oh yeah, all of those oh, people. You know, yeah. like, we need to have more identity, like know who the people are around us, at least like a little bit, recognize them at least. In Wellington, I've yeah. definitely recognized yeah. characters now. I've been here long enough to yeah. recognize a handful of characters, some homeless, 
Others are just always in the CBD, and I see them around. Uh, some are quite mm. distinct, some not so much, but I'm starting to feel this sense of home when I see them as well. Yeah. Mm. I never really had that in Auckland a... because Auckland was so disjointed mm. in a way. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's something I noticed when I lived in other cities that, like, it's great. It's a, it's a cool, like, I guess emotional exercise to like have a place be completely foreign and then slowly you can observe how it becomes less foreign and ah. like the, the things that lead to that to feeling at home and like yeah I think it starts with um recognizing people around and then there's always that cool moment I think for me it was like after a year and a half after two years I met someone who knew someone else that I knew like the oh. first like mutual friend thing Things that happen all the time in Auckland because we know so many people, but when you're just like branching out and starting and network and like I was in a totally different continent as well, so I didn't know anyone. And like, yeah, that's a big moment. It's like, oh my God, you know this person. And yeah, another step was when I started to know places that the locals didn't know. And then I'd meet people and be like, oh yeah, I really like this bar because, you know, we mentioned that all I did was drink with people <laughs> in bars. But yeah, and then like I knew cool bars that other people didn't know. And like that was, that that made me feel Yeah, so that's good. the best feeling, huh? <laughs> when you know the bars, yeah. 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 Um, super fascinating. I've, I know some bars in Wellington. There's some, there's some bars here I feel wouldn't exist in Auckland. Uh, there's this great world music bar or Latin American bar called Havana and they play the most... Oh, nice. Did I tell you about this? I can't remember. No, no and they no, play no, the no, most no, authentic no. live music that I've ever seen in my life. Like, it's so... It's these world music jams. So you have a bunch of musicians on stage with a variety of instruments and there's usually a, um, a singer with a booming voice and they will just keep the song going for so long they'll keep that dance jam going and you're dancing on this dance floor mm. with all these people and the music's responding to the dancing and the dancing's responding to the music in a way that electronic wow. music only does thinly like it, it did it so richly like each mm. musician up there would respond to the dance floor in their own way and of course they'd bounce off each other so there's all this feedback going back and forth almost like you know like neurons mm where the drummer would start to speed it up a bit because he sees a bunch of people coming down to the dance floor and then that would cause um, the other instruments to sort of up the tempo. Um, and it was really fun watching how the mood of each musician affected everyone and everything was so... It, all, it was all sort of like everything was so in sync in terms of the not in sync but like everything was so much, so much affecting everything else in terms of the mood everyone was in and the feelings everyone had and it, it was all very you felt like you're part of this organism this rampaging dancing organism and i've never really had that with electronic music on the dance floor that's always been more arid arid i guess and mm. and thin um but this was very very full and very a lot of heart in a way um yeah yeah, yeah that sounds amazing and then it, it's so interesting how like all of these different um uh like like these little 
nuances in like how everyone's mood affects everyone else like that is happening all the time but we don't normally give voice mm. to it but it's like because they're playing music it's like you can you can sense these changes because the music is representing them mm. it's kind of like there are all of these currents in mm. the air around us but we can't see them but like if you if you see smoke it's like absolutely mesmerizing because you can see how the air pushes against itself in all these different ways Oh yeah, yeah. It's kind of like that, but with the music, music was the sm- is like smoke in the sense, mm. uh, and it's exposing. Yeah, and go- yeah, that makes a lot of other things visu- like visible. Mm. Yeah, it's making visible the undercurrent or the under the, the, the these forces that mm. are working under the surface, and you get to play with them and you get to mess around with them because you get to do it. You get yeah. to do it with smoke. That's true. Eh? Yeah. Ah um, yeah, it's <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. so cool. Um, I interrupted you before you were going to say something. Do you remember uh, what it was? Your insight uh, was better. <laughs> you, you win that one. Um, I think it was <laughs> It was like something about how... Oh, that's right. It was just, just to close off that thought about the um, Havana dance uh, world music by live, live performances. It, it dawned on me. Um, I felt a bit like a, a bit silly that this would dawn on me but it just dawned on me this is what music is and music what music has mm. been for thousands of years and because we're born into yeah. a world of pop and commodo like commoditized um you know songs yeah. and recorded music um we we haven't we've kind of lost that and we've lost that that authentic mm. i hate to keep using that word but that sort of that real yeah. like roots touch you know um, yeah, of music yeah, jams. Totally, totally. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. I was thinking that while you were speaking as well that like that's how music got. Into yeah, that's what like that's what it is. Like that's like people were just messing around. Yeah. We mm. in a, in a way our whole recorded music MP3 system is like this pale plastic imitation that we just call music and we we just deal with and we accept and we settle for. Uh, but we, mm. because it's sort of like the fast food in a way. I don't know. Yeah. Like fast food versus homegrown. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Mm. yeah, yeah, no, that's true, actually. Yeah, like processed sort of everyone. Yeah, or like how, you know, clothes are kind of mass produced as well, the same way that songs are. But like if someone actually makes the clothes mm. for you, then mm. it's like this is its own individual thing the same way that like live music is never quite the same way like if the musicians allow themselves to be influenced Mm-mm. which i'm sure most of them do and yeah and so that's why i really enjoy that would, we are recording our voices as under the guise of a podcast because i feel like it's a very authentic homespun form of media to consume uh, we're creating this media mm. we're creating like a consumable item but it's very DIY. <laughs> <laughs> DIY is yeah. good. Yeah, especially DIY music. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. One of the um I can't remember if I told you this or not, but like that whole idea that you were saying with the music, um, the way that the the audience or the dancers impact the music and then the musicians will tweak according to kind of what they sense is happening in the room. Like I was reading a book on like that's how stories evolve as well as people start telling stories and then they sense in their audience how the people are feeling about how the story is going and then they might tweak uh, the story in little ways or like their delivery of it 
and that like that's how stories evolved the same way that that's how music evolved you know it is very much like audience participation in the audience in some ways molding what they want yeah i've never really thought of that how quite a hidden but central element of storytelling is the audience is the audience's reaction is the look on the kids faces is this getting scary is this a cool part are they getting excited should i put a cliffhanger here um when we read yeah yeah, Yeah. and when we read and just consume you don't have that feedback yeah Mm, yeah yeah and there's i think oh my god i think it's roomy this is like the time of the night where yes. we start busting out roomy. we need like a little sound <laughs> clip or something that plays when we we bust out some oh my roomy. God, yes. <laughs> <laughs> well if you if you look in your roomy book that i like wrote in the margins of and drew doodles i think i drew like a little picture of this one but i think it's like when a man tells a story he is a man and a child at the same time listening wait say that again yeah, so when a man tells a story, he becomes both a man and a boy listening to that story. So when he's ah, so when he's telling the oh, story, I forget the exact He's words. also listening to the story, and the 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 part of him that's listening to the story is the boy. Yes. Ah, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, so it's like a man's telling a story to his son. I missed okay. out that part, but yeah, it's like he there's like a little boy inside him as well. So there's like two little boys listening to to the story. Hmm. Mm. yeah see I wrestle with how to I've got this story in my mind that I want to write in a small novel but I've also thought about releasing it as a podcast where I read out what I've written and that might actually be consumed mm. more than <laughs> than uh, you know like a, a a first novel of questionable um, style and, and substance but I wonder if there was a way uh-huh. I could release the story that would that would also include audience feedback or an audience or me altering it based on how an audience is yes yeah you know what i mean rather than yeah yeah, Yeah. like in line with what you're saying about early storytelling that is an amazing idea how can we make that i was thinking about it and when (laughs) i grew up my uh one of my parents would uh, uh, tell us a story or my my siblings and I a story every night that would continue from the last and it was a story that was made up and it was almost bordering on role playing because sometimes we had some input but it was based on our Mm. feedback and it was so personalised and it would be all about you know how we were reacting to the story this long saga Um, Mm. and it was all improvised and that's sort of a very authentic way to tell a story and if there was some way i could tell my story to like a small group of children (laughs) but then it's not necessarily a children's story so i don't know if that Mm. would really work but yeah just like maybe mm. oh and just like one interesting link about that is that's why video games are cool in a way because video games if you're playing them it's like you're the audience to a storyteller and you're providing feedback and then the feedback that you give is the actions you take in the video game and then the video game then responds to those actions so the malleability of early storytelling and video games sort of share that or they share that um feedback yeah 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 yeah, yeah. it's also i uh, it's so great that 
yeah, that your parents did that for you. It was such a cool thing. <laughs> did, were you telling me that you also had a similar... Yeah, because my dad used to write these stories for me. Cause That's right. There wasn't really kids' stories about people or, like, girls who liked the things that I was interested in. So he did, he made some for me. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's great when parents do that. And it's so special. Like, I think kids respond to that so much more than if you're, like, reading a story. Mm. To them. Yeah, mm. yeah, yeah. Ah, oh, that's so great. Yeah, no, I think you should recreate that. I think um, what you're writing, you're going to want adults to read it when you do finally write it. Like, it's kind of, it's got adult themes. It's about things that adults, like, meaty topics mm. that people can consider more than children. But I reckon you should just get a group of friends together down in Wellington and, like... Put them through it. Maybe. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and ask them, you know, what do you think this character should do? Like, mm. I'm not too sure what should happen at this turning point. Or, like, you know, and then, like, they'll become so well acquainted with the characters and then they might, you know, you might um, invite friends who you think are particularly similar to the characters and mm. they might start to really relate. And then I think that... You're onto no, something. I think you're onto something that because be really, really that whole cool. idea of bringing <laughs> people in who are similar to the characters and getting them to provide the characters' actions is a really interesting idea of fiction which must have been thought of before somewhere in the world and tried, but I feel like that's an authentic you know, new mm. thought you've had and, and it's something that I could try mm. from that. And I've never thought of that. It's kind of like um, my favourite filmmaker, Richard Linklater. In his early films especially, he would get the a lot of the actors to provide a lot of direction on the characters and basically they chose their dialogue and they mm. just acted as themselves and they brought what they could bring to the character yeah i cool. think that's that's cool, cool. when that happens yeah. um yeah yeah you know it totally wasn't my idea it was exactly what your parents were doing like getting you guys to provide the input yeah I mean, the characters would have that's been inspired true. by but you, you guys but you sort of put that into words for <laughs> yeah. me and because I never, mm. never would have thought to do that for characters in my story that one day I may or may not write. But it's definitely sitting on my heart. Um, I got out from the library today. Have you heard of the Moomins? And the mm -hmm. Moomins are a Swedish childhood story and TV show character family. And they're, they're described as fairies. And every Swedish child grew up with the Moomins. And I guess they were like the Noddy or the Teletubbies or the Barney mm. or the something that we had. Or maybe like Disney mm. films, um, but they must have a Disney too. Um, uh, and it, it's sort of uh, the, the, the Swedish people I've met have great love for the Moomins because, you know, there's these little characters that they grew up with. They are fairies. They're called fairies, but they look like uh, hippos. And they're like these little fat white hippos who live in the bush. And there's a TV series about it, and the TV series is awesome. I'm sure, so I'm sure random. there's someone who. Oh, that's right. Some a lot of our, I think some of our mutual friends know about the moments and um, love them dearly. Yeah, oh, I've definitely seen reference to them from a few of our friends. Um, anyway, uh, I think you'd really enjoy them, the moments, and the TV show is really cool. And I was watching a few episodes. I think it was in the 60s or 70s, and it's all hand drawn, and they just go on like really crazy little like they're this family, and they do little. They have a very interesting way of looking at the world, and they try things out in a certain way. And they're very, some of them are quite adventurous, and they've got really cool ideas mm. and morals behind them. Anyway, I from the library today, I got 
um, a picture book out, which is mainly text, but there's some pictures, and it's The Moomins and the Great Flight by Tove Jason, and it's the first Moomin story that was published in 1945, um, with the most beautiful illustrations, like, oh my goodness, these illustrations are amazing, um, and I'm reading it, and I'm really enjoying it, it's like this kid's story, um, because it's got a really good role of narrative and a really good way of telling a story. And I think when I'm writing my story or when I'm thinking about narrative in the future, I'm going to draw a lot from kids' stories because they have a real simplicity mm. to them that's um, quite, like, hard to pull off. And adult novels often get bogged down mm. in dialogue and characterization and plot and theme, whereas kids' stories have a lot under the surface and you've just got this really clean narrative. Um, that I can just imagine, like, a old storyteller with a beard telling a group of kids, um, you know, by a campfire. And I thought, I want my story to be, um, the story I'm writing to be sort of felt like that. I want it to feel like it's a story being told around a campfire. I don't want it to be pretentious or bogged down with, you know, what modern lit should be. I think I want it to be, like, a plainly told almost like an Aesop's Fables, um, not, pre you know, not pretend, like, very easily understood with a simple style. Did you ever read, um, Life of Pi? Okay, because no, that was written yeah. in that way, I think, um, and that's why it was, mm -hmm. that's why I enjoyed it. Yeah. Wow, oh, I'm so excited about what yeah. you're going to do. I'm going to do it. It, it, it may take me now. my entire life, but yeah. I will write my little story. <laughs> hey, um, would you like... Yeah. And if you want it to be a campfire, you guys should just go yeah. and, and record it on a phone and have a... Oh my god, the character in your thing goes and hides in the bush on an island, and you might be inspired by that setting. Oh yes, you're referring to a character... Not necessarily the island, but like the hiding oh, in the bush. Right. Like... So you're referring to a character in my yeah. story who... <laughs> hides away in the bush yeah um, and by doing that yes. ourselves yeah <laughs> that's true mm -hmm. yeah um have you been would you like <laughs> to share if you've been reading anything lately or i know you recently had that sweet as book club up in auckland um was there any insights sweet, as, sweet as was there any sort of from the inside out book club was there any insights mm -hmm. from that or what you've been reading lately, just to sort of sweat, segue it into what you've been consuming. Um, uh, no, we, we didn't talk you, about You didn't that. talk about books at all? We decided. We decided, yes. yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, to provide some backup knowledge, I'm taking over Tim's book club and <laughs> organized the first meeting and didn't talk about books <laughs> at all. Oh, man. <laughs> no, I actually, I came prepared because I was like, let's just talk about the books that like the most interesting books that we've read in the six months that we haven't met as a book club and I thought that I'd posted that on the thing but probably in like a hidden way so like no one was really prepared for that so like I was prepared for the books that I was going to talk about but no one else was and then we decided just to do that next time anyway and then we talked about um what did we talk about we theorized on like yeah people talking to people I forget specific yeah, yeah. things, but had like a super. Fascinating so you had a fascinating conversation. conversation. 
That's perfect. That's yeah. that's all and everything I I will le- I want my book, <laughs> the book club to turn into or to be. Absolutely, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah. That's what it. Because I'm such an. Id- <laughs> hey, I should probably go soon because um, yeah. some of our friends are over and they're going to oh, play cool. games. But all right. Do you, do you want to come and talk to everyone before <laughs> before you hang up? <laughs> uh, well, could you get another voice on the podcast, or would that be too? Are there any friends who would do that? Probably not. eh? they're all a little shy about that sort of thing. I mean. No, no, like, um, Craig is totally keen to talk about social anxiety. Oh, that's right, yeah, we must do that, we must do that. That sounds like such a cool thing, I'd love to hear him, I'd love to hear him talk about that, so much so. That's so cool that he might be doing Mm. that, I love that. Um, no, that's fine, you enjoy the, the, uh, the the board games, and I'll enjoy my little books I've got here to read, The Night Away, and lovely, fantastic. out. We're not. We're not quite sure what Tim's going to enjoy. His little, and then just silence. Oh, okay. Silence. So I think <laughs> either Katie hung up on me, oh, or I hung up on her, when I was saying all those nice things about my friends. Um, uh, is it worth calling back? <laughs> because we sort of just ended it. Maybe she just went. That would be pretty ruthless. I'm going to keep it recording for a bit in case she calls back, but maybe she's just... In that case, that's the end of the podcast. How obscene.